Monard and her three colleagues have written the ultimate reference book at over 400 pages on our sport called Pickleball for Dummies. So as you might imagine, we have plenty to talk about in this episode, including switching, which is an advanced strategy used in the game. Let's get to the intro to hear from Mo. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Mo Nard. How are you doing today, Mo? I am well. Thank you so much. How are you? I am doing great. I am actually in Cape Canaveral here and getting to play lots of pickleball because I'm not in Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) You're just following the weather. You got it. Except for I was here for the hurricane. Oh, oh, ouch. I just came back from nationals in Southern California, so I am sporting a very nice tan. Ah, yeah. That's my stomping grounds. I grew up in Southern California in Orange County. Oh, nice, nice. All right. Well, I do normally like to start off the podcast with a little bit about your background in terms of how you heard about pickleball, how you got started, and how long ago that was. Okay. Well, I heard about pickleball in about 2016, and I started playing in 2017, started teaching in 2018 formed a business with my uh, my best friend who I met playing pickleball called Positive Dinking. And we teach pickleball from beginners to advanced level players and we have a great time doing it. I had a pretty bad back injury from my old Air Force days, which has gotten quite a bit worse lately. So I'm not currently able to play, but I am still loving pickleball because I'm able to teach and I wrote a little book about it. And so I'm still really involved and I'm like coaching players and watching players at nationals was just as much fun as playing at nationals. Awesome. And I was going to ask you a little bit about that little book that you wrote. I think it's actually <laughs> more than a little book, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's called a pamphlet. It's 448 pages of everything you want to know about pickleball. It is like the first real reference book that's ever been written about pickleball and it really pretty much has everything it's beginner intermediate advanced and it's called pickleball for dummies and it is part of the actual dummies series that wiley publishing did and there's everything from computer coding for dummies woodworking for dummies plumbing for dummies there's everything but pickleball hadn't been written yet and basically through a series of connections, we kind of found out that it hadn't been done yet and that we might be a good fit for it. And so I wrote this book with three of my friends and it took us five months to do it and two months of editing. And then it came out just October 11th and it's selling like wildfire and we're having a great time promoting it. I bet. And I actually do have a copy of it sitting back home on my desk. I was actually hoping to bring it with me and read it on the plane and read it while I was here in Florida. But as it turns out, I could not fit another thing into my suitcase. So I will look forward to reading it all 400 and some odd pages when when I get yep. back. Now, 
that's really quite an undertaking, even with four authors to do that. I mean, yeah. how was that for you? Well, it was incredibly intense. Two of us are pickleball instructors, and the other two come from the writing and publishing world. But they do also play pickleball. I mean, who doesn't? But we basically tried to put everything that we teach in our lessons into this book. We also learned a lot of new things in this book. Just when you're writing it down and researching things, you learn more. Just like we've learned from our students as we teach. It's like things become more clear as you teach them. The writing process is extremely intense, and I've never written a book before, and may never again. It was really hard, <laughs> but it was an intense pro- project, but it's also, I think, like kind of the crowning achievement of my life. I really feel it's a, a very high-quality book, and we're really proud of it. Now, one of the things that you mentioned was that as you were writing it, you learn new things about the game. Can you describe a couple of those? I'm really interested to hear what those might be. Yeah. Like there were a couple of things, you know, that I found myself calling my friend, Andrea, she's a certified referee. And I was like, I just wanted to get a couple of the rules really clarified because sometimes even reading the rule book doesn't quite get it. And so, like, uh, as far as Ernie's go, I called her and asked her about if you do an Ernie and then you kind of turn around and walk back through the kitchen, is that an issue? And she said, as soon as you regain your balance, the shot is over and then, you know, you can do whatever you want. So it's kind of little things like that we're sort of just dialing in to make sure everything was right. I'm trying to think of any other examples, but. I found that it's incredibly difficult to describe how to hit different spins. It's like, I can show you how to do it. I can kind of tell you how to do it, but writing it down and trying to make it clear, like how to hit side spin, it's incredibly difficult. So that was an interesting process. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely something I can relate to because this is a podcast. It is audio only. and I will often get on here with instructors and we're talking about technique and things like that. And I'm always amazed at how actually well they're able to get those points across. But with that being said, I mean, the Pickleball Fire podcast audience, these are probably most people listening are kind of tried and true pickleball players. My guess is at least intermediate level players are probably the regular listeners. So, you know, what's in the book that's for that kind of intermediate advanced player that they would really get something out of it. Yeah, so there's um, there's sections that would help for sure. Like they'll take you through like stat- stacking and switching ways to kind of put your team or your, even there's even stuff for singles players, basically ways to put your team at its best advantage. If you're doing well against a certain player right in front of you, you might want to stack or switch to make that happen. We go into some fun plays. We do shake and bake where one of you hits a drive and the other crashes the line to try and put it away, that kind of thing. We also go into single strategy and 
we get into a lot of stuff like that, that your basic, I'm a beginner pickleball book isn't going to cover. We go into the, how to hit different serves, what sort of things you need to kind of improve your game. A lot of times people just pick up a paddle and start batting it back and forth. Well, that's great in the beginning, but you start getting into like dinking rallies with advanced players. And if you're just dinking the ball back and forth mindlessly, you're losing every time. So we go a lot into dinking strategy. We refer a lot of times to how to become an evil dinking genius by hitting different dinking patterns and forcing your opponents to move around. And then you pounce on the situation that's been left behind once they've started moving around. And one thing you mentioned as you were kind of going through some of the sections, which would be really benefit the more advanced player, you talked about switching. What does that mean? So switching is when, you know, if you guys, if you watch a lot of like pro pickleball or advanced pickleball, you'll see players who are on the receiving team giving hand signals. And what they'll do is the person who's up at the line, the receiver's partner, will give a hand signal behind their back so that the opponents can't see it, basically telling their partner, are we going, we're going to switch places after your return, or we're going to stay in our places after your return, either one. And you can even get a, give hand signals that tell other things like where are you going to hit your return or whatever. But switching is basically a way that the receivers can put themselves in, at, again, at their best advantage against their opponent. Like say the receiver is doing really well against the player who's straight up ahead of them. So you wouldn't want to switch. Let's just keep it where it is. So you would basically make a fist behind your back. But say that you do better if you're if you're the receiver is on the opposite side of the court from where they're receiving, say they really do well in these cross-court dinking rallies with the person who's normally in front of them. Well, then you might want to switch so that you can get that person in that position, in which case you would hold an open hand, uh, like the palm of your hand, at your partner. And then they would know, oh, we're going to switch places as soon as you hit the return. Yes, I know when I see Anna Lee Waters and her mom play together, Lee Waters, they do a lot of that switching. Now, do you, the players, would one strategy be also be in terms of switching perhaps one of the players is all of a sudden they're just having a bad time on on one side would that make sense to go ahead and switch it up in that situation too absolutely and that's why they're not just automatically doing these things they are giving the signals because the game is so dynamic that oh in this moment we might not be doing as well in this situation so let's change what you you know what you basically call the stack let's change the way that we are lined up against this team and it can change over and over throughout the match because things change say someone's just on fire like Lee waters might be just on fire well maybe one of your teammates isn't doing that well against her maybe you don't want to pit her against her in a hands battle um, but doing better against her in a dinky rally so you might want to make that situation occur by doing a switch or stay. But you've got to you got to be on top of your strategy. You've got to really pay attention to what's happening in each point so that you know how to make it 
the best way for your advantage, basically. You're trying to set it up always for your advantage. Now, players who actually do employ that tactic, if it's the serving return team who's determining whether or not they're going to switch, that means at times each player would kind of be making that call. Does that get confusing at all? Or is that kind of an easy thing to to mess up and maybe make the wrong decision? I think it's, as with everything in pickleball, it's like, well, it depends on how good you are at noticing patterns and noticing players' strengths and weaknesses and seeing how sometimes those strengths and weaknesses change throughout the match. There are times that like, I find, oh, my cross-court dink is just really doing great. And then the next game, it's like, what happened? Did I eat a bad banana or something? What happened? My dinking is just gone. And so you've got to be prepared to make those adjustments. And you'll see a lot of times the partners don't agree. Like they might put a hand signal back that says, let's stay where we are. And the receiver might say, nope. And so the partner will change it to switch so that they, at least they'll know what to do. What you don't want to have is two players who miss misconstrue the signals and run into each other essentially but i've never really seen that happen but i've seen players kind of get confused and then just sort of make the adjustment on their way up to the line right that's kind of like the idea of the pitcher and catcher maybe not agreeing on the sign and they have to wait a bit to get on the same page exactly yeah yeah and now in in terms of what level would players be for them to really think about switching? Is that like a four, five and up level? Or do you see that at lower levels? Does it make any difference? It, obviously, rec play is going to be different from tournament play. What's kind of your recommendation mm-hmm. there? Well, I think as with almost every single answer in Pickleball, I'd say it depends. For one, I would say it depends on how competitive you are. Are you really interested in making your team exactly perfect going up against your opponent? Or are you out there just to have a good time and just not sweat like that and just get out there and play? That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I would say as you get into sort of the advanced intermediate, maybe, or depending on how competitive you are, maybe just intermediate, you can start getting into that kind of thing. But again, There's nothing wrong with not doing that kind of stuff. There's plenty of ways that you can improve your game without getting into more complex strategies. It's totally up to you. It's one of the great things about pickleball. You can pick and choose kind of the ways you want to improve. Do you want to play with lots of advanced players? Do you want to play at your level? Do you want to play a little below your level? What do you want to do? There's all kinds of ways that you can get better. And there's plenty of people who really don't care if they get better. That's okay, too. Pickleball is there for you to choose how you want to play it. I think you had mentioned earlier that you were just recently at Nationals, but you aren't or weren't able to play. Talk a little bit about some of the issues that that you have and how how you were able even to play pickleball i think you had maybe said you had not played sports for a number of years prior to picking up the game yeah gosh you don't know you don't want to know about all my issues but (laughs) i injured my back in the air force in 1986 
and I've struggled with it ever since. So that's been an ongoing thing. And then I had back surgery last year and that helped for a few months and then got worse. And then I haven't really been able to play since February. I also have hip dysplasia. So I've had my entire pelvis. Re- in fact, I used to carry, the. I have a bunch of really long screws that used to be in my pelvis. I used to carry them in my pickleball bag just so I could remember to be grateful that I was able to play. But, you know, I was able to go to nationals and watch and that I get a ton out of that. I've gone to nationals, I think, four times now and only one of them did I play. And that was, that's fine with me. I have tons of friends that play. And so each year it's more and more fun because I know more and more people. So I basically spend my time trotting around to the different courts, trying to watch all my friends play. And there's times that I'll have five different courts I'm trying to watch, which obviously does not work out well. But, you know, I yell a little bit, move on to another court, yell a little bit, move on to another court. I just try to spread my cheerleading around as much as possible. So I'm trying not to focus on my injuries, but more on what I do have and how I can contribute. And that's another great thing about pickleball is that even if you can't play it, you can be around it and have a tremendous amount of fun, which it sounds like you do not only going to some place like the Nationals, but also you are an instructor. And I have to say, I love the name of your brand, Positive Dinking. Yes. And let's keep in mind, it's not positive drinking. We've actually had checks written to us for positive drinking. And we're like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> and we've had students expect cocktails with their lesson. We're like, nope, that's not it either. <laughs> so it's positive dinking. We actually got it trademarked. Uh, and our logo is a cute light bulb that also is a pickleball. And we have a great time teaching pickleball. And it's kind of a funny way that we do it. We teach as a pair of instructors. And every single lesson or clinic you take from us, you always get both of us. It's kind of cool because, like, if I'm feeding balls to an to a, I'm sorry, to a student, I get to see them from one angle, and my other instructor, Rian Steele, who's also one of the authors of the book, she can see that player from a different angle. And so between the two of us, a lot of times we can really figure out what's going on. Like with someone's serve, someone's forehand, backhand, whatever, we get two angles, which is really nice. Also, a lot of times, like if if I'm thinking of a way to, like, how can we really drill this particular thing? And between the two of us, a lot of times just on the spot, we can come up with a different way to work on something that might work best for that particular student. Not every drill works for each student. So between the two of us, we usually can pull off a pretty darn good lesson or clinic. So we're really proud of that. Little, It's our little business. We enjoy it. And just to let the Pickleball Fire podcast audience know, what area of the country are you teaching in if somebody wants to reach out? We are in Sacramento, California, and we teach people from all over Northern California. We've also done a little bit of traveling teaching. We in uh, what was it, June, we taught a clinic in Concord, California, with the amazing Mark Renison, who's, we were sort of blown away by the opportunity because Mark Renison is sort of one of our heroes. When we started playing pickleball, that's one of the guys whose videos we were watching. So 
we were super thrilled to be able to teach with him for a few days. Yeah, Mark's great and has some wonderful videos. Now, I originally got connected to you through Carl Landau because you actually do a short segment on his podcast each time it comes out, don't you? I do. It's Carl Landau. He is one of the authors of the book. He and his wife, Diana. And we do, Carl and I do a little podcast called I Used to Be Somebody. And it is a podcast about people's second act, like after retirement. These people have some of these big time careers. And then what do they do next? What's their next thing? And for a lot of people, that's pickable. Like one of the podcasts was a woman who directed her or released her first film at age seven. Some of these people do just amazing things after they retire. One of them is on the board of USA Pickleball. So anyway, in the last five minutes or so of every podcast, we do Pickleball Life Lessons with Mo, which is usually, sometimes it's Pickleball tips. Sometimes it's me making fun of Carl. You just never know. So give an example of what one of those Pickleball lessons, life lessons might be. Well, this is one that I kind of put out around the world as best I can. Everybody I talk to about pickleball, I always talk about keeping recess alive in your life. When we're kids and we go through school, we have a break during the day. We have a couple of breaks during the day called recess. And we go out, we get a little sunshine, we burn off a little steam. And I really think that play is important to keep in your life. Take a break from your grind, your work, and play, you know, and bring out your friends and play, whatever it is, whether you play basketball, whether your play is knitting sweaters for your friends or whatever, something that you feel is play. Play is different for everybody, but whatever helps you relax and unwind and kind of rejuvenate, we just really hope that you keep that alive in your adulthood and in your older age as well. Just try to keep play as a part of your life and just keep recess in your heart. I love that philosophy. And there's one thing I neglected to ask you about, which I should have done actually at the beginning of the podcast, is my background actually is also in racquetball. Growing up in Southern California, I don't know if you remember her, Lynn Adams was a friend and one of the top, the top player for many years in, in the sport. And I know your background, you have the same background in terms of being a, a really excellent racquetball player. Tell me a little bit about what you accomplished during those years. Well, first of all, Lynn Adams, man, she was the best and a feared opponent for sure of anyone who came up against her. My racquetball background is basically it started as a tennis player. I started playing tennis at age four and I came from a big tennis family. My dad was a tennis coach. Anyway, there were seven kids in my family and six of them played tennis. It was a big deal. And in in high school, I became the black sheep of the family when I took up racquetball and started playing racquetball. And it just came super easy to me because I'd and I'd had a racket in my hand all my life, pretty much. So I started playing racquetball. was doing pretty well. And this guy spotted me. His name is Ed Martin. He was a big coach uh, and eventually a 
representative trying to get racquetball into the Olympics. Anyway, he spotted me at a tournament and said, I think this girl's going to be good. Talked to my mom and said, let's bring her to nationals. And I didn't do great on my first nationals, but the next two nationals, I won women's 19 and under doubles. Once with Mona Mook as my partner and once with Marcy Drexler as my partner. Both great lefties and super fun people to play with. So, and then I played intercollegiates as well. Wound up as a runner-up in singles and, uh, let's see, women's open doubles. I took the bronze one year. So I didn't turn pro, but I did pretty well. I was a pretty good player. And then I got burned out and hurt my back and spent a lot of years not doing much of anything. And then pickleball came along and changed my life, certainly for the better. That is great to hear. And having that background in terms of writing a book, especially in the series Pickleball for Dummies, if somebody wants to go out and buy the book, I bet they can buy it just about anywhere, but tell me the best place. Well, you can certainly get it on Amazon. It's a, that's a little shop that people sometimes can find things. And you can get it on Target. You can get it at Pickleball Central. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. I was recently, as I said, on my way to Nationals, and I stopped up off in Visalia. And I was walking around downtown, went into a little, tiny bookstore that had very few books. And I just walked in there, and I said, well, just for grins, let me just go check. And they had it. I couldn't believe it. it was the first time I'd seen it in a local bookstore. So that was pretty much of a thrill. It's in libraries. It's in little bookstores, big bookstores. I've got two boxes in my car. <laughs> you can find it everywhere. All right. Well, maybe I'll have to visit your car oh, or somebody. Will. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So if somebody wants to reach out to you directly, where is the best place for that? My email is mo at positivedinking.com. It's just M-O, no E in it, mo at positivedinking.com. All right, Mo. Well, it was great to have you on the Pickleball Fire podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, the whole conversation, but also great tips on talking about switching. So I thank you for being on today. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.